advocacy is this. Take what you've learned in ministry. Translate that one-on-one help and assistance that God is leading you to do into a policy that will provide it for all children in your neighborhood, all children in your city, all children in your state. Welcome to Baptist Without an Adjective, a podcast of Word and Way. I'm your host, Word and Way editor and president, Brian Kaler. On this program, we'll hear from Baptists from across the denominational, ethnic, national, and ideological lines that too often divide us. At Word and Way, we've been informing and inspiring Baptists since 1896. Learn more about us at wordandway.org. This episode is sponsored in part by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. The Cooperative Baptist Fellowship is a network of people and churches working together to spread the hope of Christ. For more than 25 years, CBF has been driven by its mission to serve Christians and churches as they discover and fulfill their God-given mission. Join the fellowship at work in long-term global missions in more than 25 countries. Join them too as they strive to form healthy congregations and support the ministers that serve them. Put your faith to action. Visit cbf.net to get connected. In this episode, we're going to have a conversation with Charles Foster Johnson, Executive Director of Pastors for Texas Children. This is an organization that is mobilizing pastors and church leaders across their state to support quality public education. They do this both through local community engagement, as well as advocacy with their state legislature and other political leaders. And so Charles is going to be talking about the work there in Texas, as well as other chapters that have arisen in several other states, why he thinks it's so important that pastors and church leaders are supporting public education, and why he sees advocacy as part of his ministry calling. So I was excited to be able to sit down with Charles in June during the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's annual assembly in Birmingham, Alabama. And I think you'll find that he discusses a number of really important issues about local community engagement, about public education, about advocacy. So here's my conversation with Charles Foster Johnson. Charles, first of all, thanks for joining us on the program. My pleasure, Brian. Good to be with you. So you are the executive director of Pastors for Texas Children. Now, for those who aren't familiar with that organization. Pastors for Children, our national organization. Right, right, yes. And I'll Uh, say more about that. Good, because I want to get to that growth. Uh, But started out with just Pastors for Texas Children. I'm glad you now love other children besides just the one in Texas. (laughs) (laughs) We sometimes say the other side are against Texas children. (laughs) So for those who aren't familiar, what is this organization? Well, we started six years ago. And uh, even before then, we were recruited by the Texas Baptist Christian Life Commission under the leadership of Dr. Susie Painter uh, as ministers, local church pastors to advocate for public schools. Uh, Susie called me. I was interim pastor at Broadway Baptist in the fall of 09. It's been about 10 years ago, uh, spring of 09, uh, to, uh, to ask Charlie, would you advocate for public education in Austin. And of course, I said, yes, every pastor wants to serve their denomination. And uh, what I learned was that there is a concerted uh, effort to dismantle public education. And uh, so that was a rude awakening for me. Susie and Stephen got me more and more involved. In fact, uh, connected me to something called the Coalition on Public Schools. And so I got a crash course in privatization, in testing, in vouchers, in all these instruments that basically are designed to hurt 
uh, public education. And so uh, we gained steam and momentum. And six years ago, we broke off, formed our independent 501c3, Pastors for Texas Children. And now we're in Oklahoma, Kentucky, Tennessee, Mississippi, and Florida. Wow, well, that's, that's quite a quite a growth. Quite a growth. It, it's a concept that has just taken off. It's been uh, astonishing, actually. Just the idea that the local church can be a resource center for assistance to the local school, and those local congregational leaders can be policy advocates for public education and state government. So, can you give us a little sense of, of what is it that you all are doing? So, we do three things, Brian. We educate churches about how to help schools. There is a right way to do that and a wrong way to do that. Basically, in a nutshell, we train faith leaders and congregational leaders how to come under a a local education leader. Jesus said when he sent out his disciples, when you go into the household, find the person of peace in the household. It's a very obscure phrase in the New Testament, but we interpret that to mean the leader of the entity. Well, the leader of the school entity is the classroom teacher, the school principal, the district superintendent. Those are three primary education leaders for us. So when a pastor contacts those professionals and says and really means it, how can we help? How can we help? We want to maintain and abide by church-state separation. We have no intention to come into our school. By the way, we own the schools. It's a we collective. The governor doesn't own them. Nobody individual owns them. It's a public trust. Uh, We're not going to come in with a lot of preaching and praying. We're going to do that in the church and in the home. But we're going to come in with helping and assisting. And uh, it takes a while to build that connection of trust. But when we build it, whoa, that's when the church can be the resource center for the school across the street, down the street. School supplies, teacher appreciation, food security, particularly for poor children on weekends. uh, And then the one-on-one mentoring and reading partnerships are transformative for children. So that's one thing we do, what we call school ministry. The school people would call it assistance from from the church side. It's ministry. It's showing the presence of Christ for those school children and those school teachers. Second thing, a few of those leaders will get so convicted about the destructive policies that are at work in state governments that they will begin contacting their House and Senate members. And we train pastors, deacons, elders in the Church of Christ. We're interdenominational. We're, most of our network is Baptist because we came out of the Baptist family. But uh, all the denominations. And when a pastor sits down with a politician, the pastor has influence, Brian. If there's one thing that I would want your listeners to know, it's that when the person comes to the politician representing, however imperfectly, the teachings and spirit and work of Jesus Christ, that has incredible power. You don't have to be an ordained minister. Sunday school teacher, a lay leader in the congregation. But to say to that representative, to say to that senator, I want you to support public schools. And here's why, because it's God's will for all our children to be educated. And so that's the second thing we do. We train ministers about how to do that. Then the third thing is we build community support. 
for public education. We come into a neighborhood, come into a city, we get all the leaders together, civic leaders, education leaders, health leaders, business leaders. And we have what we call a celebration for public schools. And we talk about the values of public education. It's the cornerstone of our democracy. And so that's a unifying, positive, uplifting. We'll put 200 people in those, in a fellowship hall. And the mayor's there and the county judge is there. It's just a unifying event around public education. So those are the three things we do. So as you've been doing this work, I wonder, is there a story or two? We'll start with the, the good, the exciting. Is there something that, that stands out of, like, this has been something that has made this worthwhile? Sure. it's a great question. Um, well, when I first started doing this work, I would walk into a House office or a Senate office in the Texas legislature, and I would say, my name's Charles Johnson, and I'd like to talk to the representative about public education. Click. The young receptionist would just dismiss me. Oh, leave, leave your material. I'll make sure the representative gets it. And so um, I remember this very distinctly. I walked back to the rotunda of the Texas Capitol and said, Lord, I had a little quiet time with God. What am I doing wrong? And back to my spirit came this response. Son, you don't represent public education. You've never spent a day of your life in a classroom. You've never taught. You don't know anything about what happens in public schools. You're a pastor. Go tell that politician who you represent. I walked back down the hallway, walked in the senator's office and said, my name's Charles Johnson, and I'm pastor of the Broadway Baptist Church of downtown Fort Worth. Up comes the head. Out from around the reception desk comes the young woman. Oh, pastor, we're so glad you're here. Can I get you a cup of coffee? Wait right there. Let me get the senator. She will want to speak with you. And that's what really made this concept only by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, Brian. We stumbled into it. We didn't design any of this. But that's what really communicated the power of pastoral advocacy. And so uh, we're now, uh, as I say, our, our consciousness has been raised. And we believe in public schools as the place where all our children are received with love and acceptance. And we're getting churches of all denominations and really all theological persuasions across the spectrum, black, white, brown. It's a unifying force, and we're a force to be reckoned with. What about the flip side? Has there been something that's been discouraging that you did not expect? Sure. The, um, it's been discouraging to see some churches, mainly in white suburban enclaves, to identify with privatization efforts. That has been uh, discouraging to see. Uh, there is, uh, it's understandable, but there is a dynamic. I think it's a minor dynamic, but there is a dynamic of cocooning in our culture. Let's just get into a community where everybody looks like me and where I send my kids to private schools and we have nothing against private schools. You'll have some listeners who are private school families. That is their right, completely their right. And private schools are better choices for some children. No question about that. We just don't want the government 
nosing in to those private voluntary assemblies. We want the government to stay out of our private schools. That's the, one of the reasons, one of the main reasons we believe in uh, public education and are opposed to private school vouchers. Because as soon as the government arranges for that tax dollar to support that private school, the government's going to start telling that private school what they can and cannot teach. No, there are, here's what's discouraging. It's a great question. It's discouraging to see private interests want to make our public schools profit centers for their own financial gain. And at the end of the day, when you peel back the layers and you keep asking, why, why all these bad ideas? Why all these bad policies? It's because we want to make commodities out of our kids. And we want to have profit-making opportunities out of our public schools. We have lost a sense of the public good, what we call God's common good, which is figuring out what people need, a basic human right, and providing it. Everybody in the public makes that provision. Safety. We don't say that just affluent people get to have safe neighborhoods. No, all the police for everybody. It's our public good. Roads. We don't say, we don't check anybody's tax return before they drive on a public highway. No, everybody in the public pays for that road. Even the richest person in the state of Missouri could not buy all the wonderful roads in Missouri. No, it's a public trust. It is for everybody. Same thing with schools. Water, same thing uh, with any public provision that that must be safeguarded for everybody in the community, regardless of who that person is. You've kind of hinted at this, but I want to particularly ask about that advocacy side, because I think, I think for a lot of churches, a lot of pastors, the, the local connection with the community, with the local school is probably the easier ask, but it, then getting them to, to move to that advocacy step yeah. that you also do. Right. And so... How is it that you see advocacy grounded as part of this, as a ministry calling for all of us? It is a great question, and it's a question that helps us solidify our conviction. If you start with ministry, which is one-on-one, and it's those church people, and I mean, I want, I want us to know, we're not talking about a congregation full, just a half dozen. Just get a half dozen volunteers. And go help that school, always under the authority, and it's under, submit your ecclesial authority to the educational authority of the principal. And there's power in that, all kinds of goodness in that, where pastors practice submission. We want to talk about submission, don't we? As long as we're in charge. What if God's calling us to submit? You go and help that school one-on-one. It's touch. It's incarnation. It's hands-on. And you keep doing it and keep doing it consistently. The next week, the next month, the next year. And then you'll naturally, by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, begin to ask powerful questions. Why is this school underfunded? Why are these teachers who work 10, 12 hours a day taking homework home with them, providing for their own families and taking work home with them, showing back up at the school seven o'clock the next morning, working summers, teachers don't get summers off, and doing all this for forty-five dollars or $50,000 a year with a master's degree. When 
uh, similar professionals in other fields are making twice as much. And you begin asking these questions, why the testing racket, the standardized tests that the government makes all our kids take, which are frankly abusive. The kids are in a frenzy of anxiety and, uh, and worry about their performance. And the funding of that school is tied to the child's performance. So the pastor begins asking all of these questions, and those questions lead the pastor naturally, naturally to say, I've got to do something about this. I've got to call somebody. I've got to go sit down with my house member. I want to say this on a practical level about advocacy. And it wouldn't occur to us. Didn't occur to me till I started doing this work. House members are always running, Brian. In Missouri and Texas, on the federal level, every two years. That means they're always running. And when you see them in the grocery store, in the softball field, in church, and they're in your Sunday school class, you have influence over them. And they do listen to you and especially a pastor. So in Missouri, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just plant a seed here. We'll see how God moves. If you had two dozen Missouri pastors of any denomination or deacons or congregational leaders to step forward and want to form a circle of advocates for public schools, it will positively move the needle in Missouri. Another way I put it is a little bit goes a long way. Jesus is exactly right. Just go be salt and light. To use a metaphor, another metaphor, just be, just have mustard seed faith. A little bit's going to go a long way because that house member, and look, policy's got to pass both houses. It's got to pass the Senate. It's got to pass the House of Representatives. Now, the Senate's a little different. They fly at 30,000 feet. They are more beholden to interests far beyond the, the state line of Missouri, moneyed interests. But house members really, in a way, cannot be bought off. If a house member is being bought off, it means you and I are not doing our job. That's what that means. And so advocacy is this. Take what you've learned in ministry. Translate that one-on-one help and assistance that God is leading you to do into a policy that will provide it for all children in your neighborhood, all children in your city, all children in your state. And that's justice. Ministry is love one-on-one or to a small group. Justice is love in the public square, someone has said. That's spot on. Well, since you're, you're planting the seed, and as you noted at the beginning, started out as, as Pastors for Texas Children, and now there are several state networks. Yeah. So how, how does a, a state network start? Yep. Uh, people are listening in Missouri, other states, and, and their, their network, their state doesn't have one yet. Yep. Then w- what's, what's the first step for having that conversation? First thing we need is one leader who feels convicted and compelled to step forward for public schools. It is the most important social justice provision of our society. I'm going to say it again. Public education is the most important biblical social justice provision. It is God's common good for all children, not just for children who can afford it. Look, at the dawn of our republic, it was decided we're going to educate all our kids. We're not going to be like Europe. 
where only the haves get educated and the overwhelming majority of the have-nots stay ignorant. No, John Adams put it this way, let there be not one square mile without a school in it, not paid for by the generosity of a charitable individual, but by the public, for the public, at the public's expense. So there has to be a faith leader. God will, will make good on God's promise to step forward to lead the effort. You get a cohort of pastors, six, eight, very modest, in, a, in one community. It doesn't even have to be pastors from across the state. We will come in, start with email communication and, and phone communication, teleconferences and so forth, video conferences. Then shortly after, we'll fly up to St. Louis or Jefferson City or some community in Missouri, and we'll get those 10 leaders together in a church, and we'll have a day-long conversation. Then we'll connect you to the education leader, Brian. There is some public education leader, a principal, almost always a superintendent, who will introduce us to the statewide public education community. They will open their arms for us. This has happened in all these other states. They will say, thanks be to God, the church is going to come alongside us and help us. And then you're off to the races and you, and, uh, you begin networking and you begin holding meetings. A typical pastors for children meeting is six or eight pastors. That's all it is. It's very modest. It's not some convention. It's not a hundred people in a room. It's just a very few people and you make powerful conversation. The light comes on. The heart gets convicted. Hey, you got to do something with a conviction. You can't ignore a conviction. That's God speaking to your heart. It's just like God did in my life years ago. I couldn't ignore it. I told somebody last night, be careful when you ask the Lord to put you to work. He's going to do it. And so it's, it's modest. It's very simple. Here's what I would say. Pastor, your church is full of public school teachers. Go talk to them. Listen to them. Bus drivers, cafeteria workers, administrative assistants. Go ask them about the school. Ask them about their compensation. Ask them about standardized tests. They'll, they'll, they'll give you the answer. <laughs> So modest, small mustard seed steps, communication, network, partnership. We will help. We will learn from y'all because Missouri's situation is going to be different. You'll have ideas that we'll import into Texas. Very mutual. It's koinonia. It's partnership. It's shared vision and ministry. And we'll get, we're better together. We're better together. And then, hey, where's the place where black, white, and brown comes together? The public school. Where is the, we call it a conservative, a bedrock conservative value. There's nothing liberal about public education. It's, it's constitutional conservatism. It's embedded in the Missouri Constitution. 
to protect and preserve public, free public schools and in Texas and in every other state constitution. So we're just, we're just asking lawmakers to abide by the law. That's all we're doing. And they look, I promise you, pastor, I promise you, deacon and church leader, you will be the person of influence. You hide and watch and put me to the test. When you have that conversation, particularly with a house member, you'll do the talking and they'll do the listening. And you come in and say, Representative, I want you to fund my community schools because we're educating our children and my family's economic livelihood depends on that. It depends on it. And the economic generativity and livelihood of this community depends on our children being educated. And we want you to fund those schools. And we want you to oppose private school vouchers that divert that public money to subsidize private education of a few rich kids. It's wrong. And we want you to oppose uh, for-profit charters because it's a racket, basically, to make money and financial gain off God's common good. You will do the talking. He will do the listening, and it'll make you feel 10 feet tall, and it will be salt and light. Earlier, you mentioned about how, you know, you, you respect the separation of church and state and that you're here to, to make these schools better for the kids, for our communities, for the teachers, all involved. And, and this does strike me as a bit of a, a different approach than when we do see pastors and religious leaders getting involved in public education. We, we've had the, you know, the Project Blitz effort the last few years of the, the effort to get the chip away at church state with model bills. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, in yeah. Texas, right, you had right, your, right, your right. Chick-fil-A bill, uh, right? right. right. Uh, and in, in several states this year, there were public education has been a key target, right? Right. Of trying to post in God we trust in a prominent location sure. every school, Ten commandments. The, yeah, biblical literacy classes yeah. and so forth. Right. And so that this is what we've seen a lot of, of religious leaders pushing, uh, particularly this in this Christian nationalism. Uh, when they come to public schools, it's about how can we make these schools more sectarian? And then what you're offering is this alternative witness yeah. of we're not here to bring our ideology. We're here to serve you. And that's a really different advocacy. There's a quote from St. Francis that I remember often preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. God is not only active within the four stained glass walls of the church. And, it, and every pastor knows that a lot happens within those walls that's not consistent with God's will. And a lot is said within those walls that's contrary to God's will. So our schools aren't perfect and our churches aren't perfect. But as John Claypool, my pastoral mentor, said a long time ago, something does not have to be perfect in order to be good. And your churches are doing good work in seeking to love everyone that comes through those doors. And our schools in Missouri and in Texas are taking every child that comes through that door and doing the best they can to meet that child with unconditional love and acceptance. We call the public school a center of love, just like the local church. So let's get the local church and the local school together again in ways consistent with God's gift of religious liberty defined in the right way, which is that the conscience is free, the heart is free, all faith is free. There is no such thing as a coerced faith. Government, stay out of the faith business because you're coercive by your very nature. That's the reason we form the social contract. 
so that you can enforce the law. We want you to be coercive for the benefit of everybody in the community. And so um, there are many opportunities for a believer to express her faith in a public setting, whether it's a courthouse or a school or a police station or a library or a park. Uh, we just don't want to use the force of the government or the force of the public to inappropriately advance any religious cause because your religious cause is going to be different from mine. All right? And so if the prayer or the Bible study is Baptist in origin, well, I might like that or I might not like it. There are all kinds of Baptists, as you well know, Brother Brian. Well, I don't agree with that guy's version of Baptist theology. But what about Muslim? And what about secular humanists? And what about Mormon? And what about all the other denominations and Roman Catholic? My Roman Catholic friends always use this example. Well, I love the Roman Catholic Church, but I don't believe in the infallibility of the Pope and the veneration of Mary, like my Catholic friends do. And I don't want that taught to my children any more than they want me teaching the priesthood of all believers, which is a bedrock Baptist conviction that I believe in. So we always get a chuckle out of that. And everybody nods their head. People get that. They understand it when you break it down. So church folk, here's what's interesting. Yeah, this is what we've learned. The school people are so eager for us to come into the school and help. They're not the impediment. It's the church folks wondering if they're welcome. And when the church folks come in with this closed, and I'm pointing to my mouth, look, pastor, it, it's okay to listen. These open, and I'm opening my hands now, and hands open in service. It's just so much power in that witness. It gives you credibility. And then those school teachers start showing up on Sunday at your church. And then you have other opportunities to round up the neighborhood schools and voluntary backyard Bible clubs and vacation Bible school and Wednesday night programming and Sunday school classes, which is your proper responsibility to do before God, voluntary. And so we've seen that this not only has not caused a conflict, it has opened up a brand new wave. It's a movement. And it's a good movement. Well, thank you so much, Charles, for not only for being on the program with us, but for all that you are doing. Uh, this is an inspiring work. And, uh, you know, you, you said something that I think really resonates with the experience that I've had this year uh, at Missouri legislature or myself and Carol McIntyre and a couple of other ministers have showed up to testify on a couple of different yes, bills. Yes. And how much that got the attention of the legislators and the press. That's right. And it's opened up witness opportunities as well for uh, here are some pastors who are caring about other people's rights and right. other people's freedoms. Yeah. And it, it, it has, it has, I've had the same aha light bulb moment as you describe of, wow, showing up as a Baptist minister gets people's attention. Amen. And Amen. I think that there comes a point where we have to recognize that privilege that responsibility that's come with that, that position and use that for the common good. And that's what you're trying to teach us to do. So thank you so much for your advocacy, for your work and, and all that you're doing. Thank you, Brian. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Baptist Without an Adjective. You can learn more about Pastors for Texas Children at pastorsfortexaschildren.com. 
As always, you can find us at wordandway.org. And don't forget to check out our sponsoring partner for this week's episode, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship at cbf.net. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope that you will share it with your friends on Facebook and head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast platform and write a positive review to help more people to find the show. You can find easy-to-share links at podcast.wordandway.org. If you have any feedback or comments, please send them to me at bkaler at wordandway.org. And if you'd like to give to support this program, we greatly appreciate it. All you have to do at wordandway.org is hit the donate button, and whatever you give there will help support the production of this podcast, as well as our website and monthly magazine. Thanks for listening.